Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 48, an interview with Kristen Lindell. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. I'm so excited to share this interview with you guys today. I met with Kristen a few months ago and we recorded this interview and it was so fun getting to know her and hearing her story and all about what she's doing as a life coach by helping stepmoms improve the relationship that they have with their stepchildren. So without further ado, we'll get right into her interview. Kristen, thank you so much for coming to my podcast today. I have Kristen Lindell here with us today on the podcast. She is a military wife. She is also a life coach, and she's going to tell us more in this interview about her life coaching niche and her experiences in the military. And so, Kristen, why don't you go ahead and just start us off with a little bit about you? Sure. So, thank you, Jesse. You're right. I am a military spouse. I've been with my husband now for a little over two years, married. And I am also a life coach for stepmoms and I've been doing that for about a year at this point. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So your husband's been in the military for a while and, but you guys have just been married for two years. Is that what you said? Exactly. Yeah. So he's been in, so he's a a doctor in the military. And so he actually signed up when he was in medical school, but those years don't count towards his obligation. So he's been in officially eight years with 12 more to go if we stick with it through retirement. Okay. But really more than that because of the Right. Really school. he's been in like 12 years at this point. Okay. But they don't count those. <laughs> those don't count. You're like, they, they all count. count. <laughs> Let me tell you. I mean, like even if you weren't with him at that time, you know the sacrifices he had to make to do exactly, all Exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. And so you Crazy. said he's a doctor. What kind of, tell me a little bit more about that. He's a neonatologist, which means that he helps with premature babies. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, hooray for neonatologists. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, what it's been like these last two years. Uh, I'm assuming you, you were like a military girlfriend before that and then a military mm-hmm. wife. So it's really been more than two years for you probably. Yeah. Kind of been introduced to this whole military life. Was it new for you? Or was that something you were already familiar with? And then what kind of just a little yeah. bit about that's been? So it was definitely new for me. And I think, you know, dating a doctor is maybe different or being married to a doctor is different. And then having a doctor who's in the military adds on an extra layer right. say, of um, sort of expectations and what you can expect as you're dating this person or actually married to this person, right? So for me, when we were dating... I didn't necessarily feel like, I don't know, any issues with anything that we wanted to make happen, like would happen, for example. Like if we had a date night, he would usually show up. And if he had, you know, patients that he had to take care of and had to cancel plans, like he would be able to communicate to me. At the time when we were dating, he was actually doing his fellowship. Okay. So that's sort of like protected, fortunately, in the Navy. So they're not necessarily going to like deploy a fellow, for example. And he already did a deployment. He was on a ship for a couple of years. Um, so in 
in his fellowship, we knew that like nothing would happen where he would have to leave the country or, you know, change locations or whatever. So we knew we had some time to sort of like get to know each other and figure out if all of this could work. Mm -hmm. And I guess my initial impression was like, it's really not for his particular subspecialty in the Navy. It's really not that bad in comparison maybe with what other people. You mean like his schedule? and Yeah, like his schedule. It's a doctor's schedule, right? So he works Mm -hmm. nights sometimes. And then like he has, you know, right now we're in San Diego. We're based in San Diego right now. He works, you know, seven days straight in a row sometimes. So you do Mm. get the weekends sometimes cut out and then you do have evenings where he's not around. But I also kind of like having different schedules because if there's stuff that like needs to get done during the day, you know, I work during the day. So mm-hmm. my husband can take care of it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. At least while he's around and with us, you know. So I think over time though, it was just more about me sort of learning what his schedule would be like when it is that I can ask for flexibility from him and when I can't mm-hmm. ask for that flexibility from him. Yeah. So it's been, it's, you both kind of have busy schedules, but as far as mm-hmm. his schedule goes, nothing really has surprised you. It's kind of what you expect from a doctor's schedule as well as that layer of the military. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what I like really about being married to a doctor is actually the different schedules. Like yeah. having someone who can do more stuff during the day is actually quite nice. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's night can be like pretty low key when he's not a around mm-hmm. um when we have the stepkids here it's a little more chaotic if, I, if it's just me mm-hmm. <laughs> by myself but kids um, always add that love right? element of chaos <laughs> yeah so tell me yeah you have two stepdaughters we have so yeah there's four stepkids total um three boys and one girl okay great and how like how i'm just curious like how often do you have them so we have them every other week Okay. So we do like a 50-50 okay. yeah, split. Okay. And then their mom is close by? Yeah, she lives pretty close. I think okay. it's like a 10-minute drive or something like that. So. And so what would that look like if like you guys get stationed somewhere else? Do you know like how that would go? We'd probably re- have to renegotiate you know, mm-hmm. um, child support if that were the case. I mean, to be perfectly honest with, I mean, at least the way like the Navy has worked thus far for my husband, Peter's specialty there's only a couple of places where he could actually be stationed oh okay there's literally like three sense. places in the u.s where he can be stationed and there's nothing abroad now that's different than him having to be like deployed so if he were mm-hmm. deployed again on a ship i think we would still have to renegotiate like child support and stuff yeah because i think it would be a lot for me to single parent half the time with four <laughs> That would. That would be huge. So So he's not really in a situation where he's like moving around every three years because of his specialty. Yeah, Yeah, because of his specialty. I mean, at least that's how it's worked thus far. Right. Yeah. But that's a smart stance to take because you're like, like, could be anything. There's lots of changes that are happening Mm -hmm. with military medicine um, that could affect that specific aspect of our lives. So he's been on one deployment you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. Has he 
shared any experiences with you about that? Like what that was like for him? Was he married at the time or were they already? He was. Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, I think that overall, like his, I wouldn't necessarily say he felt like he was in danger when he was deployed per se, Mm -hmm. because he was on a ship. So they weren't like, you know, actively fighting Mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, He was serving as like the general doctor for everybody. So Mm -hmm. he did like women's health and didn't just like, um, like it served as the general practitioner on the ship. And, you know, I think that like all deployments, he felt probably pretty isolated at times and lonely to be away from his family for such a long period of time. Of course. You know, but he had, he deployed with a really good group of people and has made some really good friends as a result Mm. of, you know, being on that ship. But I don't know that anybody necessarily, maybe some people do, but (laughs) I don't know if anybody enjoys, you know, being deployed. Yeah. Mostly we look forward to it being over. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So does he have any idea if he would deploy again? I mean, since he, so he just finished his fellowship um, Mm -hmm. this so like in September of 2019, we moved out to San Diego. So he literally just finished his fellowship. Okay. So we can speculate that he's not necessarily like, it's not a priority that he deploys if they need people to deploy mm-hmm. right now from his unit in the hospital, right? So mm-hmm. that's partly because he's already done a deployment, whereas, you know, some of his other coworkers haven't necessarily done a deployment yet. He's a brand new attending and they don't necessarily want to take him out of like the new skills that he's finally like solidifying as an attending physician rather than just a fellow. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of reasons why it wouldn't happen necessarily right now, but you know, yeah. if the military needs something, then they will pull on every resource that they have. Yeah. So tell me more about how it's been for you. Like, just give me kind of what the ups and downs of military life has looked like for you just in these last couple of years. As far as, I'll, I'll give you a few kind of examples of what I'm thinking about. As far as, you know, are you living on base? Do you have connections with other military spouses? Are you, you know, just just kind of what have the ups and downs of that been like for you? Yeah. So in terms of living situations, we don't live on base, um, which I enjoy not doing. We've lived in big cities. So we were in D.C. prior to this. And I so I was living by myself in D.C. before I met him. And so I had like a network of, you know, friends already and stuff. And so the only way I really got to know other people in the military was through the, the social gatherings that him and his coworkers did right. occasionally. So I got to meet like some some military spouses just through those interactions. And I would say out here, I haven't really met too many people because again, it's like we're not on base. Mm-hmm. We live in like a big city where there's lots of tons of people to meet. <laughs> yes. You know? yes. So in that way, I wouldn't necessarily say I've like integrated, you know, into a military community because we're not really living mm-hmm. with one right now. Yeah. And then in terms of other things, how has being a military spouse impacted my life? I mean, you know, we're in San Diego now. We used to be in DC. So definitely big change. The, yeah. The moving aspect of things. I actually don't mind moving around. I've moved around a lot. So that's not necessarily something that's like a big deal to me. Whereas for other people, I think it matters mm-hmm. a lot more. And the biggest issues I think, and but the, again, this is also tied to him being a doctor are like, you know, when he really can't answer his phone and we really need him to answer the phone or when Mm -hmm. he can't do something because like something's come up at work and he has 
has to be there no matter what. Or if his boss wants him to do something, like he can't say no. Right. So it's just that maybe that extra layer of obligation, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of that high pressure job. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. High pressure job, but also like the expectation that when your superiors need you to do something that's maybe like outside of the realm of what you normally do, or like, you know, you actually had something else planned for that time, it's hard to say no. Yeah. When people above you are saying like, we need you to do this yeah. and you don't have, like, it doesn't necessarily matter to them that, you know, there's like a school play happening that day or, right. you know, for obvious reasons, of course. But I think that's, you know, part of the deal of being a military spouse is getting, expecting that to happen sometimes and getting used to that. Absolutely. When I really like to hear the kind of the experience people are having, because I think it's really helpful for military spouses to just lean into that fact that there's a huge spectrum of experiences. The main experience we hear about is, oh, I live on a military base and we move every three years. But we're a lot of us are having really different experiences. Like for example, right. my husband's in the National Guard. So we I feel like we live a pretty civilian life with just right. like big doses of military. Like he'll deploy or we'll, you know, he does a drill weekend or, you know, mm-hmm. we have military mixed in all over, but we've also done that where we, you know, we lived on, you know, on a military base and we were immersed in the lifestyle, you know, so there's just a real right. spectrum of experience to be, to be had. And it's all normal, you know, it's all in that For realm sure. of normal. And one thing that I thought of when you were just saying, they don't care if there's a, you know, a school play, how I jokingly complain to my husband when there's going to be like a drill weekend over Mother's Day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what, does the army not care about Mother's Day? You know, and he's like, nope, they don't. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I get it. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, it's good. It's good to have appropriate expectations for what it's all right? going to be like, right? That's really helpful. And that, that's one thing that can be a little daunting when you're, when you're entering it new is like for sure. just learning what to expect. And then once you have that kind of down, especially, you know, with you kind of got the dual, like what to expect from his military career on top of what to expect from him being a doctor and then just right. managing those expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's talk a little bit about life coaching and how you got into this and decided to become a life coach yourself. And then we'll kind of get into your niche and how that's been for you. Sure. So I had actually always been interested in getting certified as some type of coach for mm. a number of years. And when my husband and I were talking about sort of next steps, we were still living in DC at the time. He hadn't been reassigned to San Diego. We knew it was very likely that he would be reassigned to San Diego because that's where his kids were. And that was like where an opening would be. You know, I mentioned before, there's only like three places in the U.S. where you can actually go to. So we sort of knew that San Diego was very likely going to happen. And at the time I was in D.C., I was working in international development, which there's a high concentration of organizations in D.C. specifically that do that type of work, but not necessarily so much on the West Coast. Mm. There's like a smattering of organizations that do international development, like humanitarian aid type work on the West Coast, but they're sort of few and far between relative to DC. So I started thinking about like, oh, you know, I, it might be a good point in my career to switch, (laughs) to do something different. Mm -hmm. And then I actually joined Self-Coaching Scholars, which is like the school that I did the coaching certification through at a later date. So I first like joined this coaching program and I really liked it. And then I learned that they certified people. And so I was like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity 
to actually like get this certification that I've always wanted. And also thinking about, you know, moving to San Diego, maybe it's something I can actually use when I get out there. Mm-hmm. And I started like getting into the idea of starting my own business as I was going through the certification. And when I, you know, at some point they, they have you decide, do you want to, do you want to become an entrepreneur? Do you want to go down the route of just learning how to be a coach in a corporation? And so I chose the entrepreneur route and basically just have been building my business. What, like when I was in DC, I started building it out, you know, in the evening, sometimes on weekends. Mm -hmm. And even now I'm still, I'm still working remotely for my current job that's in DC. It will end in... I think May or June at this point. Okay. So I'm still doing, I'm still working on the business in the evenings and weekends and working during the day at my, at my day job, but then that'll be done and I'll go full-time into coaching. Oh, that's exciting. in June. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about who you specialize in. What is your niche? Sure. So I work with stepmoms who dread their stepkids. Mm-hmm. And, and who don't want to dread their stepkids, right? Like, who don't want to, yes. <laughs> right? They so I help, don't want to. Yeah, I help these women actually enjoy their stepkids. I work with them to give them the tools that they need to make their marriage last. Mm. We know from the statistics that we have available to us that 60% of remarriages with children end in divorce. Mm. And one of the number one reasons actually that people cite getting divorced in these situations is because of the kids, Mm. right? So I kind of wanted to come in and show people that, you know, you don't have to become a statistic. Mm -hmm. There's actually lots of tools that you can use to help you have these fulfilling relationships with your stepkids, feel like you have a cohesive family life, feel like you have a strong and intimate connection with your partner and, you know, be one of the 40% who actually right <laughs> in the mm. end. Right? I can imagine that that step relationship is so complex. It can feel especially just really kind of daunting and complex. And so to have tools to simplify that and break it down and really give you that game plan of how you're going to create that relationship and foster it because it's everything, right? It's everything to, as far as really hard to have a successful marriage if you cannot get the the step parent child relationship going well. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the resources available to stepmoms right now feel very disempowering. Mm. You know, they don't, it's kind of like, this is the situation. It's going to suck. It's going to be hard and you can just deal with it is Mm -hmm. kind of like the underlying message. So what I want to offer people is that there's another way that you don't have to take this narrative that society has crafted for you at face value. You can have the exact family life that you want, even with stepkids. Mm. You can learn to love them. You can learn to want them just like you want your spouse to be around, right? You can, you can do all of these things with your stepkids and they don't have to be this constant source of anxiety and stress, which I think right now for a lot of women, they feel a heightened heightened levels of anxiety with their stepkids, mm. heightened levels of stress, and they don't really understand it. And what I do is I break all of that down for them. I help them see really why they feel the way that they do. And then from there, we can talk about how things can get better. 
right? Because the solution is actually quite easy, but first we have to get awareness about the real reasons why our anxiety is so high around our stepkids, the real reasons why we dread them or resent them, right? Right. And how the stepkid is not the problem. (laughs) Exactly. Because if the stepkid's the problem, then what can we do about it, right? That's so good. So when you were becoming a new stepmom and you were wanting to, you had a way you wanted to do it and you kind Mm -hmm. of reached out to those available resources and you just were not impressed with what was, what was out there. And that's when Mm -hmm. you were like, I want to create something better, a better option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. That's similar as you talk about that, that that's similar to a little bit what I, why I like helping military spouses with their, especially with their kind of deployment experiences where I, where I like to emphasize because any, any, well, most of the resources that I see out there and I've read, you know, quite a few books and just Google it and I look on, you know, different blogs and websites and it's all good. And there's a lot of camaraderie, Mm -hmm. which is really great, but there's a, just an undertone in everything I've read of like, this is going to be awful, but here's how we survive it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like it, and so then that, yeah, like you said, that can feel really disempowering and it can really keep you focused on your circumstance of like, this is all out of my control. Mm -hmm. That is like, that's like the definition of disempowering. Right. And so I love to, you know, help these women instead of focus on what's out of their control, switch it to focusing on what's in their control. And instead of having these limiting beliefs of when he's deployed, this is all our life can look like. Mm -hmm. Instead to say like, I can create anything, even when he's across the world in a war zone, like we can have the most amazing year if that's what I want to create. That's not everybody's desire and dream, but that's who I work with. You know, I love to work with women who want, don't want to lose like a year of their lives just surviving, just that survival right. mode. And survival mode, like I can imagine this in, in step parenting too, that, you know, especially like if you go that week on, week off, that's really like ups and downs of your schedule. And if you just mm-hmm. go into survival mode when you're with them and then they leave again and then you're like, oh, now I can breathe. And then they come back a week later and you're back in right. survival mode. Like what, is that kind of what you're finding that people are doing is just kind of that survival mode to get through it? Well, I think so. And it's almost like they're living like a half life, like a, like, because they are angry anxious when their stepkids are around them mm-hmm. and they feel like extra layers of stress when they're with their stepkids and then the stepkids leave but then during the week they're anticipating the next visit mm. right so it's more like a constant thing because you're either in it and you're struggling or you're anticipating and worrying and stressing about the upcoming like the next week. visit yeah. gets closer mm. and that right, that's like, yeah, that's going to really affect just your life across the board. And we see that in the military too, where, you know, the month before they leave is kind of halfway ruined because you're both just stressed and worrying and thinking all about that they're about to leave. So it's hard to kind of enjoy those moments before they go sometimes. That is so interesting. And I, one thing that as I've studied kind of this survival mode idea is that our brain cues us to survival mode at necessary times and then at unnecessary times. For the example of, you know, a step parenting situation. And again, I don't have any experience with this. I can only just imagine. I wanted to hear from you on this is, you know, when like a divorce occurs, like you might need to go into survival mode, like on both Mm -hmm. sides and kids do too, whatever, you know, to kind of get through that. And then you find your new normal Mm -hmm. and then you get back out of survival mode. And then, you know, maybe when the new marriage occurs, that's another time to almost not, and survival mode might be a strong word, but kind of like we get through that part, but then you got to find that new normal again, right? And kind of pull yourself back out of survival mode. But I think if it were up to our brain, it almost wants us to stay there as like a safety mechanism. But then like you said, you almost live this like half life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so 
Let me back up for a second. Yeah. So I think that the survival mode, the way that I talk about it with the women that I work with, like their primal brain, right? The part of their brain that's more like instinctual, yeah. right? That acts on impulse is like taking over. Oh, yeah. For them. Exactly. Right? In these moments. And it's not their fault, right? Because most of us aren't really taught about how our brains work and how that could impact a relationship with our stepkid, right? Yeah. But our brain kicks into high gear, into survival mode, into it's almost like if we let it, the primal brain will take over mm -hmm. and people latch on to these stories of like, well, my stepkids are threats to my resources and my well-being, mm. right? I can't have all of the things that I want to as long as they're in my life. And people might not even be really aware that those are some of the things that they're thinking about, right? but those are the things that come up. And that's why the brain sort of sees the stepkids, the primal part of the brain sees the stepkids as these like intruders, mm. right? As people who aren't part of the family unit which in, for a lot of the women I work with, they're coming into these relationships with no kids from a previous marriage, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of times it's just the woman and the, the partner, mm -hmm. right, who has the kids. So her brain is like sort of the, the primal part of the brain is like kicked into high gear because of all of these changes and these quote unquote foreigners who are now, you know, sharing our resources. <laughs> right. That's right? so interesting. Yeah. So it's and they don't want to feel that way but their brain right. is just like promoting that. Yeah. And you're right. Like it's almost like that's the default way the brain reacts in those situations, which is why so many people struggle as they become step parents because their primal brain is taking the reins and mm. recognizing all of this change of new people, like recognizing them as strangers, as individuals who are threat to like our love with our partner or like the resources that we have available to us in our household. Mm. Right. So yeah. you see a lot of that and people don't necessarily understand that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you and I both know, there are ways to actually learn to use that prefrontal cortex and start to quiet down some of those messages that the primal part of our brain is telling us, right? And making that switch is what's really helpful in getting these women to feel better in their set family, regardless of whether or not the kids change ever. Right. Right. right? <laughs> and that's where all that power comes back. And mm -hmm. I think that what you mentioned was so good that it's, it's really key for people to understand that like the first half of the battle is just understanding what's currently occurring. Right. We're, we're so, we're so focused on the problem or how we want it to go differently, but we don't even understand why what's happening is what's happening. And so that's something that I imagine you work with your clients on. And that's what I've been able to work with my clients on. It's like, why is it currently going so poorly and right. kind of eliminate all that confusion. And then you're in a place to make a plan and to, to go from there. Right. So good. I think like the biggest thing is that once people understand that these things that are causing their anxiety, it's really, so we think what happens is like, because our stepkids argue with each other all the time or because they don't listen to us, that's why we feel anxious. Mm -hmm. But in between those things, there's something that's happening and that's what we're making all of their behavior and their words, right? Their actions towards us. Yeah. It's right? always so when, the thought, right? Right. <laughs> so when we make those things, like if I make my stepkids not listening to me mean that, you know, I'm not worthy of respect, mm. of course I'm going to feel terrible, right? So it's really that what can I control here? We can you know, set all the rules in the world. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> and enforce them, but kids are just never going to listen, right? All the time, regardless of who it is. That's and it doesn't need to mean anything moment. about us, right? And it doesn't. No. And that's the thing is like we have to train ourselves to remind ourselves that this doesn't mean anything about us. That we're always worthy of respect, no matter what happens, no matter what anybody says or does to us, right? So it's really just like taking that pause in between the thing that happens, right? Step kids don't listen to me taking that pause and being deliberate about how you want to interpret that situation in a way mm. that serves you and fulfills your ultimate goals of, you know, who you want to be as a stepmom in that family, how you want your family unit to function. Yeah. And something that's believable. That's another thing that I really like about how mm -hmm. we use the model in our coaching is we're not going for these pie in the sky thoughts. Like I know my stepkids respect me more than anyone else on the, you know, it's like, we're not right. going for that. We're just reminding our brain that when they don't listen, it, it could mean a lot of different things. And one thing it doesn't have to mean is that they don't respect us. And I also right. like that example you gave, because that's something that even when you're not the stepmom, that's something that you right. battle with. I've been coached on that multiple times of <laughs> I'll analyze a, you know, a fight I had with my kids mm -hmm. and I'll realize I'll find the thought that really took me to that, either that resentful place or frustrated or whatever. And it was when they blank and when they don't listen to me, right. it means they don't respect me because if they respected me, they would listen. You know, it's like you have all these really painful thoughts that you're thinking and adding all this meaning to this yep. parenting situation. And parenting is already really challenging. Like, and we're, we're like doubling the challenging <laughs> by adding all this meaning. Yeah. Oh, man. That's and I so think, good. I think with stepmoms in particular, there's this extra layer of like, oh, yeah. I'm second to the kids or like, I'm not important to my spouse as the kids are. Right. But that all Where, comes from your thoughts too. That's yeah, so bad. Yeah. And I don't know if you necessarily get that in like a, a nuclear family situation yeah. where there's no kids from a previous marriage, you know, yeah. where one partner feels like, no, I really am less important. And that's the thing is like that message is reinforced in all of the resources for women, mm. you know, which is totally like, unhelpful. Yes. You know, you will come second to the kids, but that's okay. Like, even if that, mm. you know, is what the message is or what, you know, what the common idea is around how the step family should work. I don't think that feels very good. I don't think it serves us to think I'll always be second to the kids. Like when oh, yeah. I think about that, that doesn't feel good. Mm -mm. Right. So that's part of the, the process that I take these women through too, is uncovering all of these things that they might be holding on to that have been passed on, you know, from other resources they've looked at or just pop culture yeah, or other <laughs> you know, step, step families moms. they've observed. Yeah. Yeah, like stepmoms still don't have a very good rep right now in, in society yeah. <laughs> at large. Oh, man. That's really challenging. And it's interesting that like, like you said, it doesn't even matter. Like the kids might think, oh, you know, she's second to my dad or something, right. but that doesn't even really matter. It's meaning they get to think whatever they want, but what the pain you're experiencing is from you thinking you're second, you know, or from right. you thinking like, I wonder if they think I'm second. But if you spend a lot of time thinking like I'm, I'm of equal importance, I'm, you know, then you right. get to take action from that place. That's right. so good. And the thing is part of the problem and the challenge is that when you're constantly living in this space of like, I always come second, your natural reaction is to withdraw from your family interactions yeah. to avoid engaging with your stepkids to purposely put yourself on the outside because it's almost like you're looking for that evidence that you are less important. Absolutely. Right. But if you're thinking like, no, I am a valuable member of this family, you're going to show up very differently around your family. You're not going to withdraw. You're not going to avoid them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're not going really to 
need to change their behavior. Like Exactly. So yeah. like, even though we can't control the stepkids, ultimately, once we start, once we start realizing like, oh, hey, I can actually decide like I am important to this family. Once we decide that to be true for ourselves, we're going to start interacting with people in a very different way. We're going to be much more open to making connections and just more engaged, more present with our family. Those relationships, you know, guaranteed will change just because of how we're showing up mm, because we're no so longer good. showing up as the victim, you know, of someone who believes that she's always second. Mm, that's so good. And what a gift to give yourself, to give your marriage, to give your family, you know, to, to take the time to work this out in your brain so that you can show up as the stepmom you want to be. That's yeah. so good. I love that. Kristen, I love the work you're doing. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I want you to tell my listeners how they could get a hold of you if this is something they'd be interested in learning more about. Sure. I would love that. So for anyone who is listening, you can check me out at my website. So it is kristinlindellcoaching.com. It's Kristen with an I at the end. So K-R-I-S-T-I-N. My last name, Lindell, L-I-N-D-E-L-L, like the Dell computer, coaching.com. Perfect. And I'll link to that in the show notes too. So they won't have to, if they didn't, if they're driving or something and they couldn't <laughs> yeah. get that down, I'll, I'll put a link on thank my website. You. So that'll be great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was amazing. I love to hear just again, the spectrum of experience that people are having. And especially I'm enjoying hearing from life coaches because I'm a military spouse and a life coach. So it's really right. fun to have those connections. And I just love getting this work out there. So thank you for being willing to come on today. It was great having you, Kristen. Love it. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, simplyresilient.net to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Have a 50-50 day.